0: Section fifteen of the Freedman's Book by Lydia Maria Child. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Phyllis Wheatley by L. Maria Child Phyllis Wheatley was born in Africa and brought to Boston, Massachusetts in the year seventeen sixty one, a little more than a hundred years ago. At that time, people in Massachusetts held slaves the wife of Mr. John Wheatley of Boston had several slaves, but they were getting too old to be very active, and she wanted to purchase a young girl whom she could train up in such a manner as to make her a good domestic. She went to the slave market for that purpose, and there she saw a little girl with no other clothing than a piece of dirty, ragged carpeting tied around her. She looked as if her health was feeble, probably owing to her sufferings in the slave ship, and to the fact of her having no one to care for her after she landed. Mrs. Wheatley was a kind religious woman, and though she considered the sickly look of the child an objection, there was something so gentle and modest in the expression of her dark countenance that her heart was drawn toward her, and she bought her in preference to several others who looked more robust. She took her home in her chaise, put her in a bath, and dressed her in clean clothes. They could not at first understand her, for she spoke an African dialect, sprinkled with a few words of broken English, and when she could not make herself understood she resorted to a variety of gestures and signs. She did not know her own age, but from her shedding her front teeth at that time she was supposed to be about seven years old. She could not tell how long it was since the slave traders tore her from her parents, nor where she had been since that time. The poor little orphan had probably gone through so much suffering and terror, and had been so unable to make herself understood by anybody, that her mind had become bewildered concerning the past. She soon learned to speak English, but she could remember nothing about Africa, except that she used to see her mother pour out water before the rising sun almost all the ancient nations of the world supposed that a great spirit had his dwelling in the sun and they worshipped that spirit in various forms one of the most common modes of worship was to pour out water or wine at the rising of the sun and to utter a brief prayer to the spirit of that glorious luminary probably this ancient custom had been handed down age after age in africa and in that fashion the untaught mother of the little phyllis continued to worship the god of her ancestors the sight of the great splendid orb coming she knew not whence rising apparently out of the hills to make the whole world glorious with light and the devout reverence with which her mother hailed its return every morning might naturally impress the child's imagination so deeply that she remembered it after she had forgotten everything else about her native land. A wonderful change took place in the little forlorn stranger in the course of a year and a half. She had not only learned to speak English correctly, but she was able to read fluently in any part of the Bible. She evidently possessed uncommon intelligence and a great desire for knowledge she was often found trying to make letters with charcoal on the walls and fences. Mrs. Wheatley's daughter, perceiving her eagerness to learn, undertook to teach her to read and write. She found this an easy task, for her pupil learned with astonishing quickness. At the same time she showed such an amiable, affectionate disposition that all members of the family became much attached to her, her gratitude to her kind motherly mistress was unbounded and her greatest delight was to do anything to please her when she was about fourteen years old she began to write poetry and it was pretty good poetry too owing to these uncommon manifestations of intelligence and to the delicacy of her health she was never put to hard household work as was intended at the time of her purchase She was kept constantly with Mrs. Wheatley and her daughter, employed in light and easy services for them. Her poetry attracted attention, and Mrs. Wheatley's friends lent her books, which she read with great eagerness. She soon acquired a good knowledge of geography, history, and English poetry. Of the last she was particularly fond. After a while they found she was trying to learn Latin— which she so far mastered as to be able to read it understandingly. There was no law in Massachusetts against slaves' learning to read and write, as there have been in many of the States, and her mistress, so far from trying to hinder her, did everything to encourage her love of learning. She always called her affectionately, My Phyllis, and seemed to be as proud of her attainments as if she had been her own daughter, she even allowed her to have a fire and light in her own chamber in the evening that she might study and write down her thoughts whenever they came to her phyllis was of a very religious turn of mind and when she was about sixteen she joined the orthodox church that worshipped in the old south meeting-house in boston her character and deportment were such that she was considered an ornament to the church Clergymen and other literary persons who visited at Mrs. Wheatley's took a good deal of notice of her. Her poems were brought forward to be read to the company, and were often much praised. She was not unfrequently invited to the houses of wealthy and distinguished people, who liked to show her off as a kind of wonder. Most young girls would have had their heads completely turned by so much flattery and attention— but seriousness and humility seemed to be natural to phyllis she always retained the same gentle modest deportment that had won mrs wheatley's heart when she first saw her in the slave market sometimes when she went abroad she was invited to sit at a table with other guests but she always modestly declined and requested that a plate might be placed for her on a side table Being well aware of the common prejudice against her complexion, she feared that some one might be offended by her company at their meals. By pursuing this course she manifested a natural politeness, which proved her to be more truly refined than any person could be who objected to sit beside her on account of her colour. Although she was tenderly cared for and not required to do any fatiguing work— Her constitution never recovered from the shock it had received in early childhood. When she was about nineteen years old, her health failed so rapidly that physicians said it was necessary for her to take a sea voyage. A son of Mr. Wheatley's was going to England on commercial business, and his mother proposed that Phyllis should go with him. In England she received even more attention than had been bestowed upon her at home. Several of the nobility invited her to their houses, and her poems were published in a volume with an engraved likeness of the author. In this picture she looks gentle and thoughtful, and the shape of her head denotes intellect. One of the engravings was sent to Mrs. Wheatley, who was delighted with it. When one of her relatives called, she pointed it out to her, and said, "'Look at my Phyllis! Does she not seem as if she would speak to me?' still the young poetess was not spoiled by flattery one of the relatives of mrs wheatley informs us that not all the attention she received nor all the honors that were heaped upon her had the slightest influence upon her temper and deportment she was still the same single-hearted unsophisticated being she addressed a poem to the earl of dartmouth who was very kind to her during her visit to england Having expressed a hope for the overthrow of tyranny, she says, Should you, my lord, while you peruse my song, Wonder from whence my love of freedom sprung? Whence flow these wishes for the common good By feeling hearts alone best understood? I, young in life, by seeming cruel fate, Was snatched from Afric's fancied happy state what pangs excruciating must molest what sorrows labor in my parents breast steeled was that soul and by no misery moved that from a father seized his babe beloved such was my case and can i then but pray others may never feel tyrannic sway the english friends of phyllis wished to present her to their king george the third who was soon expected in london but letters from america informed her that her beloved benefactress mrs wheatley was in declining health and greatly desired to see her no honors could divert her mind from the friend of her childhood she returned to boston immediately the good lady died soon after mr wheatley soon followed and the daughter, the kind instructress of her youth, did not long survive. The son married and settled in England. For a short time Phyllis stayed with a friend of her deceased benefactress. Then she hired a room and lived by herself. It was a sad change for her. The War of the American Revolution broke out. In the autumn of 1776, General Washington had his headquarters at Cambridge, Massachusetts, and the spirit moved phyllis to address some complimentary verses to him in reply he sent her the following courteous note i thank you most sincerely for your polite notice of me in the elegant lines you enclosed however undeserving i may be of such encomium the style and manner exhibit a striking proof of your poetical talents in honour of which and as a tribute justly due to you i would have published the poem had i not been apprehensive that while i only meant to give the world this new instance of your genius i might have incurred the imputation of vanity this and nothing else determined me not to give it a place in the public prints if you should ever come to cambridge or near headquarters i shall be happy to see a person so favoured by the muses and to whom nature has been so liberal and beneficent in her dispensations. I am with great respect your obedient, humble servant, George Washington. The early friends of Phyllis were dead, or scattered abroad, and she felt alone in the world. She formed an acquaintance with a colored man by the name of Peters, who kept a grocery shop. He was more than commonly intelligent, spoke fluently, wrote easily, dressed well, and was handsome in his person. He offered marriage, and in an evil hour she accepted him. He proved to be lazy, proud, and harsh-tempered. He neglected his business, failed, and became very poor. Though unwilling to do hard work himself, he wanted to make a drudge of his wife. Her constitution was frail, she had been unaccustomed to hardship and she was the mother of three little children, with no one to help her in her household labors and cares. He had no pity on her, and instead of trying to lighten her load, he made it heavier by his bad temper. The little ones sickened and died, and their gentle mother was completely broken down by toil and sorrow. Some of the descendants of her lamented mistress at last heard of her illness and went to see her they found her in a forlorn situation suffering for the common comforts of life the revolutionary war was still raging everybody was mourning for sons and husbands slain in battle the country was very poor the currency was so deranged that a goose costs forty dollars and other articles in proportion in such a state of things people were too anxious and troubled to think about the african poetess whom they had once delighted to honour. Or if they transiently remembered her, they took it for granted that her husband provided for her. And so it happened that the gifted woman who had been patronised by wealthy Bostonians, and who had rolled through London in the splendid carriages of the English nobility, lay dying alone, in a cold, dirty, comfortless room. It was a mournful reverse of fortune." but she was patient and resigned. She made no complaint of her unfeeling husband, but the neighbors said that when a load of wood was sent to her, he felt himself too much of a gentleman to saw it, though his wife was shivering with cold. The descendants of Mrs. Wheatley did what they could to relieve her wants, after they discovered her extremely destitute condition. But, fortunately for her, she soon went Where the wicked cease from troubling, and where the weary are at rest. Her husband was so generally disliked that people never called her Mrs. Peters. She was always called Phyllis Wheatley, the name bestowed upon her when she first entered the service of her benefactress, and by which she had become known as a poetess. End of Phyllis Wheatley. Recording by Rhonda Fetterman.